Hey guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Uh, we're going to have a fun episode today with Braylon Pickerel. And I'm actually driving down to Mexico, um, getting prepared for my turkey hunts down here. Braylon's got a bunch of questions about an upcoming turkey hunt, so I figured this was a great opportunity. Uh, you're obviously going to hear some vehicle noise. I'm literally got the headset on and I'm um, just blowing down here. Uh, to Mexico so you know bear with the audio but I think there's some good content here I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider it's the best western hunting resource tool out there if you're looking for uh, the best draw odds and harvest statistics uh, and strategy articles of what units to apply for and the different animals across the west go to GoHunt.com dot com forward slash j scott sign up for the insider by doing so you're going to get a 50 dollars go hunt gear shop gift card uh 50 gift card just for signing up i also want to thank go hunt the optics department my friend cody nelson is the manager the optics manager uh when you call the go hunt line that's who you get you get to talk to cody cody has We've known each other for almost 25 years, and um, Cody is a, the, the glassing guru. He knows everything there is to know about optics and glassing. If you guys are looking at purchasing any optics at all, uh, give Cody a call, whether it be binos, rifle scopes, spotting scopes, range finders, tripods, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call, 702-847-8747, that's extension 2. You can also send him a text or call him on his cell phone, 602-399-3699. I want to thank GoHunt.com and Cody Nelson at the uh, optics department there. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Kuyu is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. Uh, go to KUIU.com, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, best gear on the market. I also want to thank PhoneScope. Use the J. Scott 20 promo code that's going to save you 10% discount also onxmaps.com i use onx every day in my real estate uh, business in my hunting and fishing i'm always on onx maps it's a great phone app go to onxmaps.com uh, sign up use the j scott 20 promo code they're going to send you an email after you sign up it's going to save you 20 percent by using j scott 20 uh, 20% their discount at onxmaps.com. And last but not least, I want to thank Apex Ammunition. This is turkey season. I uh, highly recommend you guys go check out apexmunition.com. Uh, Apex Ammunition is the home of the TSS, the Tungsten Super Shot. And that, are, that is the shotgun shells that I'm going to be using. Uh, it's, it's an amazing technology of using tungsten uh seven eight nine shot but the the fame of the nine shot tungsten is you know it all the turkey hunters are talking about it um tungsten is 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 a heavier much it's a much more dense pattern uh and it's just knocking these turkeys off their feet go to apexmunition.com uh, to find out more uh, guys thanks for your support if you have any questions of me you can send an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com you can also follow along on instagram send me a direct message that's at jscottoutdoors guys let's get right to this episode with braylon welcome to the J. Scott outdoors podcast uh, this morning i am actually driving to mexico i'm going to be starting my uh, Gould's turkey hunts. So I've got some windshield time. I've got Braylon Pickerel on the line. He's got some turkey questions. Braylon, how you doing? 
Well, I'm doing good. Jay, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Where do you live? Uh, I'm out in Queen Creek, around uh, Elizabeth and Chandler Heights area. Been out here for about four and a half years and love it. Cool. Where did you grow up? Uh, like 15 minutes straight north of where I'm at now. I was uh, East Mesa, right around uh, Ellsworth and Brown area. Went to Red Mountain High School, so I'm uh, I'm a local boy. Right on. Sounds good. It sounds like uh, you've got some turkey questions for me, so I thought last night, uh, rather than just talk on the phone, uh, might provide some other hunters out there some value. So um, just have you fire away and ask your questions and it, hopefully I can answer some of them and, um, you know, give, give some other people some value as well as yourself. Oh, much appreciated. I'm, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only idiot listening to your podcast. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's got some value. I have a couple <laughs> listeners, so, um, I definitely won't call them idiots, but I'm sure there are a few. <laughs> <laughs> no, much appreciated. Uh, yeah. So I, I listened to your, uh, seven part podcast last year before the turkey hunt the spring turkey hunt and did it again this year and as i'm sure all of my teachers can attest i need to hear things three or four times before it really sinks in so you may have said this in all those podcasts and and i just missed it so i'll apologize in advance yeah no problem did you also get to listen to the the new four-part series that we did also i think i'm one episode left i got three of them um and then I got that one, and then the two that you did with the, was it the turkey duck or something? I got yeah, the wild turkey well. duck, yep. Awesome, those well, should be done fire by. away. All right, sounds good. Um, so I'm actually, some of these questions are driven because I'm headed out with my 8-year-old as well, and so just kind of want to pick your brain on <laughs> exactly how to handle it in that situation. Um, so specifically, like when you're headed to your roost early morning, I know you get up super early and you're there when it's dark. Do you use your flashlight at all when you're getting into there, or do you try and keep it as dark as possible? I mean, like, to get there, to inspect the ground, any of that yep. stuff, or are you, are you going no light? Yeah, so on the light question, let me kind of back up and say that I'm always a proponent of trying to roost those birds the night before and know exactly where they're at, know the tree that they're in, and try and get myself as close to those birds as I possibly can because I feel like off of the roost, if you can get really close to them, you have a good chance. One, just from a standpoint of geographically being really close to them, you have the chance that they fly down and they're already in shotgun range. Number two, if you're, not, if you're just out of range and, and, and you happen to you know, be in the right spot and they could literally walk right by you. So getting close to them, the closer you can get helps. Now, if you get too close, if you're 15 yards from them, they could fly right over the top of your head and, and, and or they could and more than likely will look down and see you and the whole gig is up. So I try and get up within about 100 yards of them in the tree if possible and I try and calculate where I think they're going to fly down. To answer your question about the lights, the night before when I roost them, I try and get as close to them as I can where I can see them with my binoculars and see exactly where they're at in the tree, see which trees they're in, and make sure they don't hop trees on me. So a lot of times I'll stay pretty late trying to make sure that they're not tree hopping and end up, you know, 40 yards away, which they can do. They can get up in the top of those ponderosas and then start hopping 
you know, from tree to tree to tree to get in a nice comfortable spot. So once I've established that they're there, the next morning I'm going to go in and of course I'm going to use a headlamp uh, until I get about, I'm going to say, depends on the terrain, but you know, 400, 500 yards from the birds I'm going to use and then I'm going to totally eliminate my light. And it, uh, sometimes that can be a challenge if you have absolutely no moon and it's just pitch black dark. You're, I mean, you're literally walking in trees and um, it, it's a challenge. But on, on other times, too, I'll use a light for a while uh, and then I'll turn the light off and try and let my eyes fully adjust. Now, when I was, I'm 47 now, when I was, you know, in my 20s, I had eyes like a, a cat at night and could, you know, do really well. But I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they use a light and they get within 100 yards or so of those birds and they still have their light on. And those birds, you know, they are they have elevation as they're on their side. So yeah. they can see everything. And, yeah, they see lights and they see headlights and they see, you know, they see all kinds of stuff at night so it's not like it's going to kill you every time but I'm also one of those guys that think I'm going to try and put every advantage in my uh on my side as I can and one of those is eliminating any human noises any human sounds uh any human you know like lights and so I mean I've literally had to chew guys out unfortunately Gould's turkey hunting, especially where we get all the way in there, we've just slid in there with no lights, and we're, you know, 70, 60, 70, 80, 100 yards from them, and the birds aren't gobbling, and a guy will just turn on his headlamp or get his flashlight out and start clearing away where he's going to sit and breaking limbs. I mean, that's like the cardinal sin. So do not turn on the light, especially when you get you know, within a couple hundred yards of those birds. Now, I will tell you that I have seen surveys and seen, I've seen, I've seen videos of this. I've even done it before where I just have walking out elk hunting or something and I hear, you know, hear what I think is a turkey and I just shine a light on them up in the tree and they're just sitting up there looking at you. But I'm also not trying to call that bird and have that bird come to me and come into my decoy spread. So, yes, they'll probably more than likely tolerate your light but that doesn't mean they're going to fly down and come into your spread because you've just basically alerted them saying hey we're humans and as soon as yeah. we start calling we're not you know we're not real hens and so uh, you know if you have any follow-up questions but that's kind of my answer to the lights yeah and i'm positive uh turkey elk all these things they know when the season dates are better than we do so yeah and, and, and you they know, don't one, care about flashlights during elk season <laughs> yeah and one thing about the lights uh, i i talked about you know sliding in and everybody wants to put their back up to a tree uh and i highly recommend that i think it's a safety function as well because if you can get the core of your body you know with their back up to a tree if you know, God forbid uh, there was a situation where someone else was working in on birds. You have some cover and protection. And, it, it, you know, the bigger the tree, the more protection you have. That's number one. But also number two, if you can put your back up to a tree that's bigger than, than the profile of your back, uh, you're going to be concealed much better. So 
uh, turkeys are not going to be able to see you. One of the things that I, you know, that I kind of cringe is when there's like kind of small trees that are say half the width of, of your body or your shoulder width and you're leaned up against it. Well, from a tur- turkey's perspective, especially when they hit the ground, uh, when they're coming in and that, you know, that they're seeing the perfect profiles of, you know, up, up here in Arizona, a lot of ponderosa pine that's, you know, say 12 inches, you know, 15 inches around is perfect. And they're seeing straight lines. And then all of a sudden they see a tree where it comes down and then there's a blob. And then you add any movement at all, whether it be shotgun uh, or if your knees are up or if you're like using a box call and they see any movement, they're going to pick you out. So when you're trying to find a tree to put your back to, try and find ponderosa pines that are big enough and bigger um, in width than the width of your shoulders. And I think in that seven-part series, I mean, if we can find downed logs and stuff in that area that are real close to the roost tree, is that uh, option yeah. number one there? Well, um, I would find ponderosa pines that are alive, that are upright. Uh, the only the downed logs are great as well if you have, you know, big limbs and knots in the tree and you've got the ability to, to you know, totally conceal yourself. The one thing you have to watch is if the down limb is not tall enough you basically your head will be periscoping over that so the same thing when a turkey's on ground level you know they're about you know three feet tall if you will or you know four feet tall three and a half feet let's call it um and they're looking straight ahead and all of a sudden they see a head kind of slightly moving periscoping above a down log um, that can be a problem. So I, on a down log, I always try and sit where maybe there's an arm of a limb that sticks up where it's going to conceal where my head is sticking up, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah perfect. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm 6'9", so it'd have to be a pretty tall down log to <laughs> Yeah, you, you've got some challenges uh, for sure. But, you know, one of the things, too, about being 6'9", is, I mean, you could be construed, if you're, if you're down, you almost could be a big rock. So... You know, as long as you're not moving, that that's one of the biggest things with turkeys when they're coming in, especially when they're approaching your calling, especially when they're approaching a decoy spread. One of the things that a decoy spread can do is it can take their uh, mind off of their surroundings and they focus on the decoys. And that's one of the reasons why I like to set the decoys off to the left or to the right and not directly you don't want to be directly behind your decoys of an incoming bird because they're going to look straight through those decoys and see you you want them off to the left or right so that you i've seen it where birds are focused on the decoys and your you know your silhouette if you will is off to the left or right and those birds are so focused on the decoys i've seen guys draw their bows i've seen guys move their shotguns around and not get caught nice and a lot of that, uh, dependent on actually roosting them and stuff the night before. If you if you're not able to get anything roosted that night, uh, do you just kind of pick a ridge somewhere in that area, or you know wherever wherever else you've scouted or scouted in person, just kind of pick a ridge that morning, and hopefully something's there making noise when you do your shot gobbles. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously 
every night of turkey hunting you don't have birds roosted i love to have birds roosted but there's lots and lots of nights where you hear nothing and you know you're down in the dumps because you didn't hear any turkeys you don't have anything roosted and i think for the mindset that you've got to have then is you've got to go out early and there's there's several things you can do you can go out really early and when i say really early you know fly down generally in Arizona's, you know, depending on early season and late season, you know, it ranges from about 515 to probably about 545, something somewhere in that range because of the season starting early and then it goes into May and the longer it goes, the earlier the sun comes up. Um, uh, You, what was I talking about again? What was I going to tell you? I'm driving here in Tucson, and I just kind of got, um, just kind of got distracted. Uh, we were talking about oh, if you don't have if you don't have something roosted. Um, yes, yes. So, what, there's two things you can do. You can uh, get in the vehicle and use the vehicle to cover country, blowing your coyote howler, and you can. You can either just blind, just just I'm going to a new spot, I'm totally blind, I'm just gonna drive. So you drive a mile, you get out, you don't slam doors, you turn off lights, you get away from the vehicle so you can hear, and then you um, get, you know, just get away. And if you have someone with you, it's great because they can listen while you blow your coyote howler. Blow the coyote howler, they're gonna answer you right away. So if you blow it, they don't answer. I always try it twice. So I blow it. Usually they'll answer right away. And what time would you start so driving around? I, I rarely usually? get them before 4:15. Rarely get them before 4:15. And once it starts hitting about 4:30 to 4:45, that's when it's just prime time of being able to get them. And the nice thing about that time frame is, you know, depending on the terrain you still have the ability to um, you still have the ability to strike them with the coyote howler and you still have the ability to get over and get on them and get set up it's not ideal but at least you're still in the game and you can sneak as close as you possibly can because every minute that goes by that there's more and more and more gray light and so you have to be more careful about getting close so you go a mile you strike nothing you go another mile or break it into half mile increments, but a half to three quarters, because that coyote howl is going to travel a good half to three quarters of a mile, maybe a mile in some places. So I just kind of go by feel, or you can actually set your odometer and just go every mile or every three quarter mile and stop. But what you want to do is make sure you pull off of the road. And you don't necessarily have to like crash and bang and pull off the road, but just get off of the forest road into the ditch at least so that if you strike a bird, you can literally just, just, you know, shut the doors and off you go. Um, And people can get by your vehicle. So I'm just going to keep running that morning, just going to keep running. And I'm going to go for probably 30 minutes or so from like 415 to 445 I'm gonna go trying to hear a bird if I don't hear a bird then I always have a plan of I'm gonna go to a place that I think either looks good or that I've scouted and I think that there's birds in the area and then sometimes I just take um, 
a blind area and say, I'm just going to walk, you know, I'm just going to do some walking on this old logging road and see if I can strike a bird, see what happens. So that's kind of from a, from a vehicle standpoint. The other thing that I'll do is I'll just go to an area where I know there's turkeys and I'll just start walking on foot. And a lot of times I'm walking with no headlamp. I'm walking on a ridge line or walking in a bottom or I like ridge tops because then you can hear off both sides. You have a lot, lot better peripheral hearing. Um, and I'm just going to prospect and I'm going to walk away and I'm going to coyote howl. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to coyote howl until birds strike. Once they strike, then I'm going to try and just, I use my Onyx map and try and look and okay, I've got two ravines between us. I need and try and figure out how to get over to those birds. And a lot of times it's a scramble. It, it's a, you know, you just you basically have very little time from the time they strike and gobble to the time you need to get over as close as you possibly can, as quiet as you possibly can uh, to get over on them. And then there's a fine line between uh, when you've struck them and you're trying to get to them and you don't want to get too close because they're going to see you or hear you and know that, hey, what's this loud sound over here crunching through the pine needles, you know, thrashing around trying to get to us. So there's a real art to uh, sneaking in on gobblers that are up in the roost because remember, they're up, you know, 30, 30, 40 feet up in the air and they can see a lot more than you, you know, you feel like you can see on the ground. Okay, and I, I assume while you're closing that distance, you put the coyote call away, right? So they don't think that. Uh, yeah, once they've that's answered. Closer to them. Yeah, once they've answered, I don't like to get closer to them with that same coyote howl. I like the coyote howl. They've answered, and then if I need to use other calls, you know, you can use the the owl hooter. Um, you can use you know an elk diaphragm, cow elk sounds. Um, you know, especially in these Western unit, Merriam's units, where there's a lot of elk, you know, you can, you can bark like a cow elk. You can, you can actually do like a little small bull squeal. Um, you know, just, just good cow, cow sounds will get them to gobble as well. Uh, but, you know, owls, especially for the guys in the back east, you know, owls are a huge deal. And we have owls out here, but they don't, they don't seem to answer owls as much. The other thing you can use is crow call. Uh, I know guys like raven calls, but anything to get them to answer. But once they're gobbling and they're already gobbling, you know, you've shocked them and then you're kind of moving towards them. I try not to call to them at all. I try and let them do all of their own stuff. Now, if, if it's one of those, well, I, I have no idea how close I am to them. I don't know if I'm, you know, 100 yards or if I'm still, you know, 400 yards, then I might try and get them to gobble again. But the more you make them gobble, the more chance you have that other hunters are going to hear those birds. Now, there's sometimes when those birds are just up on the limb and you've, you've struck them first, but they were going to, even if you didn't strike them, they were going to gobble their brains out. And, you know, those, those birds can be tough because everybody in the woods is, is listening for the same birds. Yeah. And typically when they're in the roost and you're calling to them, I mean, are you kind of following the same standard rules as if they were on the ground your aggressive hen calls that type of thing or are you just trying to mostly make noises so they think a hen is 
yeah, they're so unsatisfied for the time being. So I've got to read the situation. If if I've roosted the birds the night before and I know that there's two longbeards in the tree and there's no hens, I didn't hear. I listen for other hens to fly up, other turkeys to fly up, but I feel like these are, you know, a bird, a single or a double, you know, roosted and there's no hens around. I'm going to play that much differently than if I hear a, hear or see a whole flock of turkeys fly up. Um, if, if I've got a single, I'm going to let them gobble. I'm set up. I've got my back to a tree. I'm dialed in. I, I've got, a, you know, I'm within 100 yards. Um, within, you know, 50 to 100 yards would be my preference. And I think I've got lone birds in the tree. I'm going to let them gobble and gobble and gobble and gobble and gobble and gobble. And right before I feel like they're going to fly down, then I'm going to engage them. And when I engage them, I'm going to judge by their response of how, um, how quickly they respond to me and how aggressively they respond to me. And if they hammer back at me and really are on me, I'm not going to call anymore. Right before they fly down, I'm going to call just to let them know I'm still here. And my hopes are they're going to fly down and come over to me. That's the exact opposite of what they do in nature. Normally, those birds will stay, the gobblers will stay in the, uh, in the, up on the limb and the hens will come to the gobbler. That's why you've seen situations where gobblers will stay in a tree gobbling their absolute brains out and you've hen called they're expecting you to come to them so you've got to kind of play a mind game with them that you have to be enticing enough that hey that she sounds pretty good yeah but then you almost have to frustrate them why the heck is she not coming over here i've been frustrating people my whole life jason so you're used to it yeah you're used to it um So, and then birds, gobblers that are with hens, I'm going to engage those hens a lot more than, and call a lot more than I will call to loner or or single gobblers or, uh, you know, pairs of gobblers because they have hens in the trees with them. More than likely the hens are going to fly down, gather and assemble underneath the gobbler's tree the gobbler's going to wait till they're all there. Then he's just going to pitch straight down, start strutting immediately with the hens assembling right at the tree, and you're out of the game because they've already got their groups established, and you're not part of the group. So if there's gobblers with hens, you know, the, the hens are going to start up, the gobblers are going to start up. I don't start right away. I let them gobble and I let the hens talk and I let the gobble and I let the hens talk. And then now after they've, you know, because how unnatural is it if all of a sudden the very first gobble and it's still dark and you start in with your hen call, that's not like supernatural because he's thinking, where were you last night? Why didn't you make any noise? That, that throws a red flag up to him. So gotcha. let the hens kind of start going, the gobblers going, the hens are going, then I'll start in. And then Do you look for certain behavior patterns or is it mostly just determined by time as far as when you feel they're about to fly down from the tree? Well, that there's there's two things there. There's a lot of it is experience, a lot of it is knowing the amount of light and knowing you know, a lot of times I'll hunt 25 or 30 days in a row. So I, every time they fly down and it's, you know, Dar and I were notorious for 
every morning we document what time they fly down. So guess what? The next morning you can yeah. pretty much know the benchmark of what they're going to fly down. But it's always like, hey, they flew down early this morning. Hey, they stayed in the tree longer. But once you know that it's, you know, 517 is when they hit the ground yesterday, it helps you the next day. I've seen birds fly down when you can absolutely barely see, you know, 15, 20 yards. And I've seen birds fly down when, you know, the sun is actually peeking over and it's like, I mean, you can full on see. So it's, it's, there's a fine line there of, of, of timing and a lot of it comes with experience. But you can also, if you see them up in the tree, a lot of times those gobblers will be strutting up on the limb and, you know, you can see them start to get restless and they're kind of raising their wings and they're kind of getting ready for their pitch down. And that's when I'll start, you know, that's when I'll start getting on them for sure. Now with hens, if, if I know they're just loaded up with hens, I'll actually start in and start mimicking those hens and having a conversation with those hens, I mean, in the dark. And just, you know, they're, I'll go, if they go, I'll go, I'll, I'll match what they're doing. If, you know, if they... If they cluck and then go into a yelp, I'll do that. If they yelp and then end with a cluck, I'm basically trying to mimic that. that hen. And then you'll start getting where they pop, 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 and they're, they're getting more aggressive and they're wondering, you know, who are you? I'll just go right back at them because I look at it like this. They're going to fly down and probably go either towards you or away from you either way. So if, if you can call to them a big flock and, and get it, you know, under their skin, if you will, you have a much better chance that they're going to come over, at least the hens, and come over and say, who is this in our neighborhood? And that's where decoys come in, too. If you have good decoys, you also have a little bit more time there where not only do they hear the sound you're making, but they see the decoys and they're coming over going, there's a whole group of hens over here. Where did they come from? And look, there's a, you know, there's a Jake here too, or there's a full strut gobbler here. And then it, the longer you can engage with that group, the longer you have the chance that that gobbler is going to go, okay, heck with it. I'm going to fly down and go see what's going on over there. Yeah. Under normal circumstances, not during hunting season, do they prefer to fly uphill out of the roost kind of, backwards thinking of what they do at night they get uphill so they have a shorter flight to the tree will they follow that kind of pattern that's kind of determined by food so let me back up and say normally and we're talking about merriam's turkeys mostly and goulds as well um they are gonna go and walk up a ridge and fly across to their tree where they have to expend as little energy as possible so reverse that in the morning i've seen them up on the top of these big trees either big black oaks where the goulds or in ponderosas for the merriams and they're up there and they'll pitch and they go 200 yards gliding and they glide all the way down to the bottom to the to the forest floor and i've seen them pitch directly across side hill and then walk down the hill and i've seen them pitch cross hill and go on top so it i don't think there's any set hard and fast rule as to how they're going to fly down um 
They love being on benches. They love to roost where it's like steep and then there's a bench because what they'll want to do is they'll just want to pitch down to the bench that's right at the base of their tree. And a lot of times they'll assemble. Um, and that's when you sit, you know, you've heard of all the assembly calling and the assembly yelping. They'll kind of assemble yeah. on the bench and then they'll, they could go any direction. So I, I would always say that if they're on a lip of, of a ridge, and they've basically flown, they've walked the ridge line the night before and they've pitched kind of up and across into trees. I'm gonna try and be on that flat ridge and hope that they, they pitch right back onto that spine and kind of assemble and then go about their day. I've seen it though, where they're in that tree, you're set up on top and they fly down and go straight off, you know, you know glide down 50 yards and then you know assemble down on a bench down on the bottom so it's it's a little bit of feel and the reality is most of us are are, are only right 50 percent of the time they're either going to come your way or they're going to go the other there's there's not a i i don't think there's a set set and hard uh, hard rule that you can go by yeah no that makes sense um all right so i think that's the that's the final morning question. You can move on from there. Um, so when you're doing your running and gunning, like the mid-morning, afternoon stuff, walking those ridges like we were talking about a minute ago, um, are you are you mostly just shot gobbling, listening for the calls? I mean, just kind of looking out right out in front of you, hoping not to see something, or is there ever any times where you're glassing anything, or is it pretty much just so running you, gun, shot Are you gobble? talking mid-morning, or are you talking middle of the day or mid-afternoon? What what kind of time frame do you mean here? Anything uh, other than the roost time? Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, really anything other than the roost time. So if you're doing something different kind of afternoon than mid-morning, then, then okay. both. Okay, so after the roost time, you've either made a play and they've either come your way and you've gotten a shot or they've moved away. And if they move away and they're still gobbling and the hens are still talking, they're going in a direction. The likelihood of you following behind them and catching up with them is not good because they're going to see you. In that situation, I try and make a big loop and go all the way around them take a big wide loop hopefully get some sort of ridge line or contour uh, and get around them and try and cut them off and get in the path if you can kind of establish a path of direction that they're going um, you can get out in front of them so that'll be the that'll be the first thing I'll try once that either that plan foils or let's just say things quiet down and you don't have any idea where they're gonna go I'm gonna go into more of what I call a run and gun situation where a lot of times I'm going to be using my box call and I'm just going to be doing kind of some lost hen type yelps and just kind of a series of, you know, and then just listening and maybe get a far off gobble, maybe strike a new bird um, and then be able to from there judge, do I need to close half the distance or what do I need to do? The other thing you can do is you can get the coyote howler out again and you can try and you know <laughs> strike a bird and get them to gobble because all you're trying to do is get them to gobble hopefully they're far enough away that they just shock to the sound but they're not thinking mr coyote's going to come get them coming to get you yeah and then you can make a play from there a lot of times that play is trying to close that distance half 
half as much or more to try and get as close to them as you possibly can uh, without spooking them. So that's another fine line of if I, the closer I can get to them before I turkey call to them, the better the chance I have of me calling those birds in. The other part of that is midday. A lot of times midday, my strategy is not gonna be, uh, it'll be shock gobbling some, whether it be a crow call uh, or just, you know, with my box and trust or with a, you know, crystal slate uh, call, pot and peg style call. Just trying to strike and, and reach some sound out there and get a bird to strike. In Arizona, a lot of times during the middle of the day, I'm going to sit somewhere near water because a lot of times uh, I found birds during the middle of the day, I'll find them by water. And so I'm just going to sit and periodically with my box call, uh, throw some yelps out there and try and try and get some birds either, you know, coming towards water and getting them to answer uh, and, and, you know, kind of being where the birds want to be. Going back to and, and to the listeners out there, you probably hear the roar of my truck just humming along here. Um, so, you know, we're doing the best we can with the audio here. But Braylon, to get back to what do I do during the day? Um, yeah. So I think it's important for people to understand that turkey hunting is, is from my perspective, best, best are the mornings. Mornings are the best time. Historically, I've killed more gobblers in the morning than any other time. It seems like for the first couple hours, um, especially when it's nice and cool, you get good action, good gobbling, and you know it's it's usually a sun up till probably you know two hours, let's say. And then as each hour goes on throughout the day, you're going to get, in my experience, less and less and less gobbling. That's not to say I haven't killed birds right in the middle of the day at noon, at 10 o'clock, at 2 o'clock, because I have. Um, but over a long period of time of hunting birds, your best time is two hours in the morning and the last hour in the evening. So what do you do during the middle of the day? Well, from that, you know, say 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, I'm usually walking ridges where I can hear off both sides, and I'm trying to either shock with my uh, coyote howler but more, more than my coyote howler, I am do, using my box call, trying to get sound out there and just try and get a bird to answer. Then I talked about midday, how I'm a lot of times, I'll go take a nap and go hang out by a dirt tank or you know, kind of in a bottom where there's a lot of turkey sign and, and tracks. And um, you know, there's maybe a small little creek, not a creek that there's like rushing water so you can't hear and they can't hear more of just like, you know, there's some water in the bottom of a canyon or a pothole and you see turkey tracks and turkey poop around there. You're like, this is a good spot. I'm just going to kind of take a nap here for an hour or two. Mm -hmm. And then periodically I'll wake up and hammer on the box call. And I can't tell you how many times I've done that and kind of nap and semi dozing. And all of a sudden you hear a bird gobble and he's, you know, a hundred yards and, you know, you, you wake up in a scramble and get your face net, you know, all pulled up and, you know, a bird comes right in. Then as it gets into the afternoon, my whole afternoons are set up in a, a, a mindset of I'm, yes, I'd love to get a bird this afternoon, but my whole mindset is I want to be able to roost birds tonight. So I'm going to start transitioning into canyons 
and ridge lines and areas where I can hear a long ways and I know birds have historically roosted there, um, places that I've heard birds before, uh, places that look good, uh, a place where I can get out to a point and I come out on a point of a ridge and there's like four or five, six canyons that I can see in front of me with my binos and I can hear each one of those stringers of canyons. So I'm like, let's say, let's say you're on a clock and you're in the middle of a clock, but at, at 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, two o'clock and three o'clock, let's say there's all these different canyons. Well, the benefit of that is those birds are going to be on those ridge lines and they're going to walk those ridge lines and then they're going to fly. So that's a good spot to be to be able to hear birds at last light gobbling in those four or five canyons. It's also a good spot because you can be out on out there and calling and projecting your sound and have it carrying as far as possible. The one thing that kind of throws that off is in a lot of times in Arizona, you get those afternoon, you know, breeze, it's pretty breezy and windy and you almost have to get down in a bottom because if you're up on top, the wind's blowing so hard, you have to get out so they can actually hear your sound. So if it's super windy, you got to stay off the tops, get more down in those big gradual bottoms because uh, turkeys don't like to be in the wind as well because they can't hear when they can't hear not only can they not hear each other, they can't hear other flocks, but they can't hear predators come sneaking up on them. So turkeys sure. will like to find places that are out of the wind. Sometimes you want to look on your Onyx map, look for those big topographic, you know, those big bowls where the wind is, you know, say coming out of, of the north and you've got a big bowl that's facing south well, that wind's going to be blowing right over the top and it that bowl creates just a big um, sound chamber, if you will, that's quiet. So that's where they're going to be and they're going to be out of that wind. That's good. I don't like the wind either. So that works out well for both of us. Yeah, and then as, that, as the day progresses, as the evening progresses, I'm going to be working those long ridge lines, walking back and forth. Sometimes I'm just sitting in one spot and calling, especially if I heard birds. Uh, let's say I worked a bird and I heard a group of gobblers over on a certain ridge and nobody messed with them. I didn't mess with them. I'm actually going to be over there in that immediate area where I heard birds that morning. Or if I've been scouting before the season and I always hear birds and I try and find as many bird spots as I can, as many roost spots as I can. So I know that, hey, in the afternoon, I can get over there pretty close within a hundred, couple hundred yards, you know, as close as you possibly can to where you constantly hear those birds and, have, and you're scouting as they're always roosting on that ridge. Well, guess what? The best place for you to go in the afternoon is somewhere over there on that ridge close to where those birds have, where you've been hearing them that betters your percentage of chance of being in the mix of getting a bird at night. And I, I've actually, a lot of my buddies give me a hard time. I have actually killed a lot of birds in the afternoon and the evening. And, uh, and one of the reasons is I'm an impatient, patient person, if that makes sense. Sometimes I can't still sit still at all. If I know that I'm in a good spot, I can sit from three o'clock in the afternoon till pitch black dark with it at the same tree because I know I'm in the good spot. I'm basically camped out in the best spot. 
The reason I go way early is just for whatever chance that those birds are going to be milling around that roost area. And think of it from their perspective as well. They know where other birds are roosted. And think about if you've got a subordinate Tom that's, you know, a two-year-old bird and he wants to get in the action. Well, where's he going to go? He's going to go where he knows that other birds like to roost as well. So they do the same thing. Other birds know where other birds like to roost. So a lot of times at three, four, five in the afternoon, those subordinate gobblers that maybe got kicked out of the flock by the dominant gobbler, they're gonna kind of go back to where the group all, you know, let's get the gang back together. And so a lot of times at four or five o'clock in the afternoon, way before roost time, you can be sitting there in that general direction where those birds were roosted the, the morning before and be calling and have a bird gobble and he's looking for you and he came to that area for the same reason you came to that area nice um if so if i'm set up and i don't have decals or decoys uh-huh. <laughs> i don't have decoys do you typically shut up sooner than you would if you do have decoys i assume you just call them straight on in with the decoys or without them do you are you saying if you have a bird gobbling and he's answering your calls and if I yeah. have decoys, do I call less or more? Yeah. I would say if, if a bird gobbles, okay, so this is normally how it plays out. I, I hear a bird gobble. I'm just sitting and I hear a bird gobble. A lot of times I'll listen I will, I'll fight the urge to want to call to that bird and I'll actually listen and what I'm listening for and it's killing me because I want to call so bad I'm listening to see if he's going to gobble again within a couple of minutes if he gobbles again within a couple of minutes a lot of times that's a bird that's prospecting looking for hens if he gobbles and 15, 20 minutes goes by and he doesn't gobble again, a lot of times that's a bird with hens and he just happened, something made him gobble and he just happened to gobble and you're going to have a harder time calling that flock in. But if a bird gobbles and I wait for a minute or two and all of a sudden two minutes goes by, you know, I'm sitting there with my box call in my hand fighting the urge to strike the lid and all of a sudden he gobbles again. I know right then my chance of killing that bird just went way up. From that point, I need to determine, do I need to stay put so I have not made a sound to this bird? He's gobbled twice, and he gobbled within a couple minute period, he gobbled twice. So I know he's out prospecting, ridge walking, looking for birds. Do I need to move up another 100, 200, 300 yards, or 50 yards? Do I need to get in, set up in a better spot? Where is he? Okay, I'm trying to establish where is he. And then if, if I've got that and say, nope, he's close enough that I need to just stay put, then I'm going to start in on him. And I'm just going to start in with sweet yelps. I'm just, yelp, 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 yelp. And, and then I'm going to cut it off and I'm going to listen. What's his reaction? Boom, he gobbles right away. A lot of times I'm just going to shut up because now he's gobbled twice. I hand yelp to him. He answered. He's prospecting for birds. Let that bird come to you. Now, here's the trick. He's answered your hen call. He knows right where you're at. And you fight the urge to call. 
and everyone makes the mistake. They want to say, oh, I called the bird in. Half of calling the bird in is you have to let the bird come to you. It's unnatural for the hens to, or for the gobbler to go to the hens. The hens usually trot towards the gobbler. So the gobbler will stay where he's at and he'll gobble and he'll strut and he'll gobble and the hens come to them. You're reversing that. Here's the trick. You already know he's answered your call. You already know that he's gobbled a time or two and he's prospecting for hens. Now you shut up and you don't call. And as he's coming, boom, he gobbles, he's half as close. You want to call so bad, but you just killed your whole chance if you call because now you're saying, hey, stay there. I'll come to you. No, don't call. If they've, if they've intensely gobbled at your turkey call, at your hen call, you sh- fight the urge to call and shut up. And that's then, whether or not you have decoys set up? It doesn't matter. Then, because they can't see them yet anyway. Then all of a sudden... They gobble and they're half as close. And you want to call again. Don't call. Then what happens next is most important. The next gobble is going to tell you what that bird's temperature is doing. If he gobbles again and he's half as close again, he's almost dead. At that point when he's when you've, you're playing hard to get, And he's coming, he's moving your direction, he's moving your direction, he's moving your direction. The last thing you want to do is call to that bird. Because what they're going to do is, if you start calling, they're going to stop, they're going to start strutting back and forth and let you close the distance to them. Okay? So, a lot of times I let them gobble two, three, four, five times. And... Sometimes when I know that they're, you know, they're working my way, but that I need to give them, I can just tell I need to give them just a little bit more. I'll just, and if they, boom, they gobble, gobble, then I'll just shut up and I'll let them work their way into the spread. And that's when the beauty of having decoys is now they're getting where they're getting close enough that they should be able to see what they hear. That's when you let the decoys do their work. And that's what having good decoys, I use DSD, Dave Smith decoys. That's when having good decoys are worth their weight in gold because you've played the right game, you've played hard to get, and they're coming to you. Now they're looking for that turkey that made the sound. Here's here's a kicker. When they first gobble on their way out there and then they gobble half the distance and you have the ability to get up and move your decoys if possible or even set your decoys, set your decoys so that the hens are facing, they're, they're facing you or facing the hunter or facing the direction you want the bird to go. You want the bird when he first sees the, the decoys, the birds to be facing the opposite way that he's coming. If they're facing him, a lot of times he's going to stop. You know, if he can see him from 100 yards, he's going to stop out there at 100 yards and he's going to strut back and forth, back and forth. If he looks and those decoys are not looking at him, they're looking the opposite direction. They're basically looking the direction he's looking. So he sees the back end of the decoys. 
they're going to close the gobbler's going to close that distance much more likely to you and to those decoys than if your hens are facing the gobbler does that make sense yeah yeah perfect sense and that's pretty universal whether it's just a hen decoy you have a jake decoy yeah and especially especially this full strut decoy with the full real tail fan i'm going to always face that fan the butt of that fan at the turkey that's incoming even if even if they're a couple hundred yards out and i know they're not going to see me and I have to adjust the position, the bird's off to my left, so I want to go out and spin the strutter so that the, the strutter can, the, the gobbler that you're calling can approach that strutter and he sees the butt of the tail fan and he knows that he can sneak right up in behind that gobbler before that strutter sees him, if that makes sense. The incoming bird wants to be able to sneak up on that bird but if your if your strutter is facing him, he's going to hang out there and he's going to determine, is this a mature bird? Is this a dominant bird? Is this a subordinate bird? You know, what what am I dealing with? But if it's if the butt is facing the incoming bird, that bird's going to close the distance a lot faster and a lot more confidently because he thinks that that strutted out bird can't see him. Gotcha. Well, you carry your decoys around during that mid-morning run and gun, and I always, set them up with, I always the water carry, hole. I always carry my decoys. Okay. I usually have a a, a Jake and a, a hen with me at all times. A feeding, a DSD feeding hen, and a DSD three-quarter strut Jake. Um, and then I don't recommend using the full strut decoy on public land. Uh, but it, you know, if you're hunting you know, reservations, you're hunting places, private land, you know, different states that have private land hunting. Uh, I would definitely use the strutter. The strutter is, is a game changer. Um, the strutter can mean, the strutter puts more turkeys in the pot than not using a strutter. Let's put it that way. Nice. Well, man, that, uh, I got one last question for you, but I mean, it's kind of been answered. So this is all mostly for my hunt, again, taking my eight-year-old Declan with me. Um, and I'm helping my dad and my brother e-scout mostly. And none of us really have the time, unfortunately, to get up before their turkey hunt up in Kayabab. So we're kind of following the same principles here, looking for stuff, e-scouting for specific ridges, places that we want to be. We've hunted mule deer up there and have seen turkeys. But if you're just, I'm sure it's all you know, put everything that you've said on repeat and do that. <laughs> it's going to be the answer. But if you're dropped in a brand new area, don't know anything about it, what's what's kind of the first thing that you're doing or looking for? I'm going to try and cover as much ground as I possibly can as quickly as I can. I'm going to drive. As I'm driving, my, my driver's side window's down. I'm looking out the window in the dusty road for tracks. I'm also going to get out and walk forest service roads because of the dust. Any roads that you see that have dust in the bar ditch or if, if they're gravel, they're kind of tough. But if you can get some soft dirt, I'm trying to see turkey tracks. I'm trying to see strut marks. I'm trying to see um, turkey sign. I'm going to try and go to it. Um, I'm getting a little wind noise. Are you outside? No, uh, I'm inside. Okay. I'm not hearing anything. Sorry. Okay. Um, it may be on my end. Um, I, I'm trying to see turkey tracks. I'm trying to see uh, strut marks. 
And so I'm walking dirt tank. So I'll get to a dirt tank. I'll make a full loop around the dirt tank, trying to look on the water's edge. As the water recedes, they're going to leave tracks. And you'll be able to see them. Then I'm also going to look up on the dikes and in the, in the actual dirt and, and look for sign and look for fresh tracks. If they're in the mud and they're old or if they're in the dust, what you're looking for is in the dust, in the light dust of the dirt where, the, where it's the lightest. If you see turkey tracks, usually that's pretty fresh within a day or so because with the wind and stuff we have, those, those tracks in the light um, sand and dirt don't stay very long. So I'm going to look for the knuckle marks of the turkeys. If you can see the ridges of their of the bottom part of their, their their foot or their pad, if you will, and you see those ridges, that means that that track is probably that day. That's what I'm looking for. Um, so I, I'm trying to cover country. I'm walking forest service roads that are blocked off. You know how you'll see roads that you know on ridge tops and they're got a big berm and they're blocked. Yeah. I'm trying to cover country and find strut marks which i don't know if you know what those are but you can see where they drag their wings if you go on my website you'll see a lot of strutting footage and you'll see what looks like basically if you were to take a feather and draw and and scratch it into the ground that's what strut marks look for and and turkey tracks and turkey sign i'm also um trying to establish like a wagon wheel type situation of ridges where there's basically the spoke of a wheel and then there's a ridge and a ridge and a ridge where I can walk those ridges where I can hear off both sides left and right and try and hear birds. But you can cover way more ground checking water holes and you'll go to water holes, no turkey tracks, no turkey tracks, no turkey tracks. Well, guess what? I wouldn't hunt there. Then you find one, man, there's turkey tracks all over. Okay, at least we have a starting point that turkeys come to this spot that's a center point and then you find okay there these three tanks have the most turkey sign and most turkey tracks those tanks over there have no sign okay these roads here have the most strut marks and the most turkey tracks and okay these roads i didn't see a turkey track that's that's what i do when i go to new areas i cover as much country as i can in the vehicle and then as much country as i can on foot just trying to find turkey sign then I'm trying to find what I'm looking for as far as um, the wagon wheel deal where the, you know, the ridges, there's a bunch of multiple ridges where you can either sit in one spot, so it'd be the center of the spoke of the wagon wheel, if you will, or bicycle um, wheel, uh, where you sit in the center and you can hear all these finger ridges, and that gives you a place where it, sometimes it's up on a little knob, just a little high spot, but you can hear down in you know six or eight different canyons. That's where I'm going to be sitting at in the dark, or you know in the evening, trying to listen for birds roosting. And I'm using my binoculars as well to glass those ridge tops and try and pick turkeys off. And then once they start roosting, I'm listening. I think one of the mistakes people make is they're in the vehicle way too early. I like to stay out there and listen, even if they're not gobbling. I like to listen for turkeys flying up. And you'll hear them from a long ways away. You'll hear. And if they don't gobble, you can get your binos out and be looking. Because now they've flown up in the tree. And a lot of times they're up towards the top. And you can see them. And you're like, there's a strutter. I can see his beard in the tree. He's never gobbled. 
and on public land, especially the Kaibab, as many tags, you spot a, a, a roper up in the tree, uh, I wouldn't try and get him to gobble at all. You've already got him established and roosted in that tree, and so there's no reason to make him gobble because you're going to attract attention of other hunters to him. No, that's perfect. Thank you very much. And then, and then the other thing about, um, just let me add, on those public land hunts like the Kaibab, places where you've seen turkey, that's huge. But I also want to go to places, I would rather chase one turkey off somewhere in the, in the um, places where people aren't going to go than five turkeys where roads are very accessible and people can hear from all over. So I look for those places that there's roads and let's say that there's a mile or two in one direction and I'm going to go out and get in the center where birds can get away and not be heard from the road. So when you're e-scouting, I would be looking for those areas where there's not accessible or people cannot hear from a main gravel dirt road. Gotcha. And it's hard. You know, in Arizona, we have roads all over, but you can certainly find those places that are harder to get to. Maybe it requires quads. Um, and just find find those grids, those areas where there's there's no um, access to, and that's where I'm going to walk in and hope that's where I want to find my one go- turkey that I'm going to try and shoot. Perfect. Yeah, I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. And again, we'll, we'll assume that I'm the only idiot listening to your podcast, <laughs> but this idiot appreciates it. <laughs> well, I I appreciate you following. I appreciate you uh, uh, willing to come on. And um, I'm just uh, burning the miles up here, driving to uh, Mexico. So, um, yeah, take care. Thanks for uh, supporting my podcast. And I just want to thank everybody else out there as well for listening. So, uh, hope you do good. Uh, Send me a report. uh, Send me some pictures of your success, okay? Will do. Thank you, sir. All right, buddy. God bless. Take care. Thank you.